Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly with all the latest on the Matildas just days out from the World Cup and the European competitions resuming in three weeks. The best on the Socceroos from around the world. First up, the Matildas, as I said, just days away from what will be a critical opening match of a home World Cup. So this week's featured guests are all about them and for a very good reason. We'll start with a man who is probably Australia's leading expert on the women's side and who we've tracked the progression of under Tony Gustafsson since his arrival, our friend Joey Lynch from ESPN. As Joey wrote this week, after the disastrous early results of Tony Gustafsson's tenure, the Matildas have now won nine of their past 10 games, including victories over Sweden, England, Spain, and now France. They've scored 26 goals across this run and conceded just five. Can they turn that form into a run which ends up with the ultimate prize? We'll assess that all in an extended chat with Joey, charting their group and likely progress through the knockout stages. But before any of that happens, there is a team waiting for Australia who fancy themselves as a bit of a dark horse and he'll be planning to quieten the 80,000 home crowd on Thursday evening and that is none other than the Republic of Ireland. Racked 22 in the world and with the scalp of the Matildas on their belt from a three to upset on home soil less than two years ago. We'll head to Dublin to get a sense of their expectations with Gary Connaughton from Ireland's leading sports website, balls.ie. Derek, a very busy show lined up, mate. Um, and I, I'm actually really, I, I was a bit concerned, even as late as last week, but I'm actually feeling now with uh, the uh, the news, uh, the radio, the digital press, the the, the vision of uh, the city, uh, not only Melbourne, but around Australia, uh, building up that this uh, is a World Cup um, just days away. Uh, all ready for uh, for Friday and my daughter and I heading off to the rectangular stadium and, and uh, watching our first taste of Women's World Cup action. Um, so, yeah, very, very excited and, yeah, excited to talk to our Irish colleague as well. I mean, we all saw those, um, the amazing news uh, that uh, Ireland well, cancelled or pulled out of their game mid-game with Colombia. Some ferocious tackles going in, apparently, from the Colombian uh, women's side. So we'll unpick all of that as well and, and try and get to the bottom of it. And Willem, uh, you're starting to get um, World Cup fever yourself, mate? Yeah, very much so, Rob. A little walk through South Yarra and uh, Richmond over the past week. I saw a, uh, it's been Rebel Sport who have been, I suppose, putting the money forward for these murals. So there's a mm-hmm. Mary Fowler and a Kylie, uh, Kyra Cooney Cross uh, off Chapel Street. There's a, a huge uh, Alana Kennedy uh, defenders that one, one. one up on uh, just off Swan Street in Richmond, right in the heart of, uh, of mm-hmm. the action uh, from a Melbourne perspective. There, so no, very much getting excited. And I'm taking my mum and sister uh, to Amy Park on Friday, almost Friday morning, Friday 12:30 p.m. Mm-hmm. to uh, to Canada, Nigeria. So we'll all be there. Yeah, we'll all be there. Are we going to uh, catch up for a beer? I think. Well, 12:30 lunchtime. I guess it's over the yard arm, isn't it? looking. Uh, the Matildas, they have ticked uh, the final box ahead of the World Cup with their 1-0 win over France, their fourth straight against top 10 ranked opposition. Substitute Mary Fowler scored the game's only goal on 65 minutes before a record crowd of 50,629 for a standalone women's football match in Australia. They've since headed to Brisbane 
ahead of their first match of the tournament against Ireland this Thursday. And Rob, they didn't have to win that match for the tournament to to take off, but certainly won't hurt. It won't. And um, it, look, it, it was a real party atmosphere at Marvel Stadium. Um, I had the, got the opportunity to go to, to the game and uh, I was concerned that, as we often see for those uh, of us who are in Melbourne, a lot of the the medallion club holders, the, the effective members of that stadium, don't turn up when their club's not playing. So I was concerned that even though it was sold out, that uh, you know we might end up seeing an announced crowd of about 45,000, but it was legitimately well over 50,000 uh, and uh, a real family-friendly atmosphere. I was concerned in that first half. I, I didn't think uh, uh, that we were seeing the polished Matildas that we'd come to expect against England and against Sweden. Uh, uh, I think Sam Kerr missed a, 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 just a golden opportunity. Caitlin Ford as well took about 10 touches on a ball that should have been in the back of the net by the time she uh, touched it a second or third time. Uh, but by uh, the halftime, you, you got a sense that things were turning around. And, and I think one of the points that I want to talk to Joey Lynch about is this the newfound steel that we have in, in the back line and the fact that uh, that the the French threw everything at Australia and uh, and they just couldn't get through. So uh, Mackenzie Arnold doing a brilliant job between the sticks. So um, it was it was a great night and um, the 1-0 result was uh, was a fantastic outcome. So uh, we, we're, you know, building up with the, the kind of momentum that, um, that that you want to see leading into a home a home tournament. I think it's hard to gauge how important that is um, from our perspective, given we are relatively close to it. We, we cover it, we watch it. I think that result is going to be more important for those who aren't as interested or aren't as engaged, but might be the general sports fan who did see those pictures of 50,000 and a goal flying mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. having a win. Uh, maybe it's not for us to for us to discuss, but... Well, uh, the point with them that, um, that, did, that didn't go unnoticed was the fact that... Um, uh, Melbourne, um, Melbourne AFL football club, um, who are in the top four, uh, played at the MCG on that very same night against Brisbane. Now, admittedly, in a state side, but uh, with the heritage from Fitzroy and lots of Melbourne-based fans, uh, they couldn't even get 40,000 at the MCG. So uh, that's a bit of an indication of just how far football and the women's game in particular has come. And hopefully Football Australia are noticing that. uh, uh, And we know that they do a lot of deals with uh, Tourism New South Wales. uh, And we are a little biased uh, recording this podcast from uh, the southern capital but uh, uh, if, if you want to uh, uh, go with a fish or swimming mate uh, you'll get a pretty big crowd whenever you turn up in Melbourne. Now Derek has done a great edge impression in the co-host chair there by jumping the gun and knocking my pins over on this story but Ireland's warm-up match against Colombia <laughs> was abandoned after 20 minutes on Friday physicality of which Irish manager Vera Poor claimed she'd never seen in her 47 year career. Midfielder Denise O'Sullivan is now racing the clock although more recent updates uh, Monday afternoon have uh, have come to indicate that she should be okay for Thursday's first match against Australia but a tackle did see her briefly hospitalised with a leg injury. Colombia's Football Federation stated the Irish side preferred not to continue playing after 23 minutes of the first half. Now, Derek, that is a far more diplomatic uh, response to that of their defender, Danielle Caracas. And you never know how these things are going to translate, but she has called the Irish little girls who can eat shit off the back of this uh, off the back of this abandonment. Yeah, that's uh, another way of looking at it. Look, I mean, the Irish will be sweating over Denise O'Sullivan because, uh, you know, she will be a key, a key player for them. And you, you have to think that you know, every minute of these games are pretty vital as um, pre-tournament, you know, warm-ups, you know, fiddle with your lineup, fiddle with your strategy, give a few players a, a few uh, kilometres in their legs prior to when the big game starts. So you have to think that if Ireland were felt compelled that they no longer could continue the game and there was a genuine risk to their team, um, 
then then you have to say that that sounds pretty legitimate. But one of the things that you know we'll never get to the bottom of is really it'll only be a handful of eyewitnesses there because the game was behind closed doors. There were no cameras, photographers, journalists. So it is literally going to be Colombia's word against Ireland. And I suppose we'll buy it you know, prejudice and bias will go behind Ireland as our kind of sister nation. But, yeah, I think it's something we'll never truly get to the bottom. We just hope Denise O'Sullivan's okay for the first game. Yep, and should Denise O'Sullivan take the field on Thursday night, I think it's something that we'll all have forgotten about by this time next week. Leaving the World Cup aside for a moment, Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham career begins on Tuesday in Perth with Spurs to meet West Ham in the first of three pre-season games in the Asia-Pacific. Harry Kane is training with the squad and could feature, despite Bayern Munich Honorary President Uli Honus this week stating the striker has decided to move to Germany. Tottenham have five matches to tune up for their opening Premier League fixture against Brentford, including Rob, one against Barcelona, and, and Son Heung-min funding, fronting a presser in Perth. Uh, Son's on a long-term deal. He won't be going anywhere. Uh, and he was complimentary of the training standards thus far, and he even had kind words for Ange's 2015 Socceroos, who we did go up against in that Asian Cup final. That's one way to carry a bit of favour with the new boss. Yeah, look, it's uh, sort of surreal, isn't it, um, right now watching um, Ange front uh, press conferences as the manager of a, a Premier League club. Uh, it's, uh, it's sort of alternate universe stuff, really, isn't it, from the, the days when he was uh, strutting uh, the technical area at Suncorp Stadium for the Brisbane Roar and then came down to Melbourne and uh, and then did some great things with Australia. So, uh you know, we we all should be very proud of just how far he's come so far. Um, I mean, if uh, if Ange can pull a rabbit out of a hat and convince Harry Kane to stay and get the best out of Harry Kane and uh, um, and and turn this club into a force that uh, you know that they've frustratingly hoped that they would be for so long, uh, it uh, it's going to be amazing. And um, I'm going to love looking at. Uh, Edge and uh, and Derek's face and uh, and even Damo's uh, as our resident Arsenal supporters. Um, if it does happen, it's going to be priceless. Well, Derek's gritted his teeth through that story. Now I've got one for him here. That is the official securing from an Arsenal perspective of Declan Rice on a five-year deal with an option for a sixth. Uh, their third bit of £100 million plus £5 million in add-ons was enough to prize Rice away from West Ham, where he has been since he was 14. Meanwhile, Eric Ten Hag has removed the captain's armband from Harry Maguire at Manchester United, although the defender has reaffirmed his commitment to the club. United remain confident of signing Andre Onana to replace David De Gea. But Derek, back to Rice and the Gunners. Are we going to see scenes reminiscent of what we saw with Lionel Messi in Miami this week? 20,000 people with the full uh, lights and sirens show in the stadium. Arsenal fans will be very, very relieved. I mean, this is it wasn't quite um, uh, a saga, but you know, the, the distance of time between the deal basically being confirmed by well-placed people a few weeks ago and then you know having to refresh every day and see whether there's been an update and and you know it has all been in the fine print of this deal but all the way along we've been assured that this is the uh the deal this that Declan Rice is motivated to come to Arsenal he wants to stay in London he loves Mikel Arteta's kind of pitch to him around what the project would entail but there was still a bit of a splinter in the back of the mind going well could City or United or Chelsea come in yet and sweep them away from us. But yeah, we finally got what we wanted. And that is this, you know, supreme uh, midfielder, at, you know, coming into the pinnacle of his career, a, a leader on and off the pitch. You know, I feel like Arsenal have, 
I've, I've splashed the cash. It's a British record for a for, for for a player, and very unlike Arsenal to to do this. So yeah, of course we're we're, we're really excited. Don't don't underestimate the impact of Durian Timber, your uh, your Dutch um, kind of compatriot as well. Willem, he's an exciting signing from us from Ajax. Uh, and of course, uh, he joins Kai Havertz, who we've we've taken from Chelsea too. So, um, not many other rumours going around Arsenal. It feels like that's the business. The, the top three on the list were were acquired, and that is a very rare thing for us. Just a quick trip to Japan for Soccer Essential to close. It is, of course, for the Green and Gold Army. Preparation is in full swing for the Asian Cup in Qatar from January. And if you want to be there, make sure you join the Green and Gold Army. We will be looked after by the best in the business. Head to gjtravel.com.au. I said Japan. I actually want to start in Korea. A quick word for Alex Grant, who scored his second in three matches for Poheng Steelers. Uh, they came from behind to defeat Jeju United 4-2 in the K-League. So with 10 games to go, Pohang Steelers are second. Uh, and in the J-League, Thomas Deng continues to string together 90 minutes each week for Alberex Nigata, who had a win over Sapporo and sit 14th. Although there were losses, Rob, for Pete Klamowski at Tokyo and Mitch Langerak at Nagoya. Uh, and it's all gone a little bit wrong for Kevin Musket at uh, Yokohama. I think we'll explore that a little bit more deeply during the week on stoppage time. But that is your uh, Soccer Central wrap for now. Well done, Willem. And... Uh... Done well, as you always do. Okay, stick around. After the break, we're going to uh, start the first half of our analysis of the Matildas with uh, with our good friend Joey Lynch from ESPN. Joey's done a, a, a magnificent sort of breakdown of uh, of their uh, expectations uh, leading up to and uh, and where the team is right now under under Tony Gustafsson. And uh, and I'm really interested to talk to Joey about what he expects personally. Uh, going into the tournament first up against the Republic of Ireland this Thursday night. So stick around. Joey Lynch next on Box to Box. Stay big on Wagner Vitamins right now. Well, we're at? There's Warehouse. Of course, there's Wagner Vitamin D3, 1,000 international units, 250 capsules for 10.99. Wagner Liver Detox, 100 capsules for 14.99. And hopefully we'll need that uh, after a bit of celebration over the course of the next month. Well, I've also, Robert, I'll tell you what else is good. The Boost capsules, I can't go on about them enough. 10.99, I think you get 12 in there. Delicious. All sorts of flavours. You do. Fun. Yeah, you, you really are loving those, mate. Um, uh, I'm starting to wonder whether you're uh, you're getting an endorsement or, or lobbying for one. But uh, if it's keeping your energy up, Willem, that's all that matters, mate. Wagner Vitamin C1000 Chew Tablets for 17.99. There's 250 tablets in there, Derek. Uh, if you want to keep your uh, your health up during the, this chilly winter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in quite a good run of non-illness, but being a father of uh, a young family it's always around the corner and there was a definite cold snap in the air in the Hillsville Sanctuary this week so mm-hmm. I may well need to, uh, to top up that's it prevention is better than cure my friend and I might get some of the Wagner super joint support I came out of retirement on Sunday and did the uh, the run Melbourne 10Ks uh, at the encouragement of my good friend Mario Tascani from Chemist Warehouse with the Chemist Warehouse Run Club uh, 200 capsules for $29.99 I must have been one of the slowest out on the course thinking out there of doing 8 minute kilometres just bringing up the rear of the field. Uh, now, remember, in addition to visiting your local Chemist Warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time. We'll choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. Chemist Warehouse, the lowest prices are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And as I said off the top of the show, we've tracked the progression of Tony Gustafsson's reign since his arrival with our friend Joey Lynch from ESPN. As Joey wrote, after their disastrous early results, they've now won nine of their past 10 games, including clean sheets against no less than France, England and Sweden. And we welcome just days away from the beginning of the World Cup, Joey to the show. How are you, Joey? I'm going well. Thanks for having me back again. We're just days to go now. The excitement is palpable. Yeah, and, and it really start. It's starting to feel like the the rest of Australia is beginning to take notice. So, I mean, like you, we've been talking about it, tracking it, wondering when it was going to build. But uh, but when you see the group by group guides dropping, and you see the uh, the front page of uh, well, the local newspaper in Melbourne with the headline, which I thought was pretty clever, "Hail Mary!" After uh, Friday night's result, uh, it uh, it's starting to feel like like a real world cup isn't it mate such a fantastic thing i think for australia just to get to experience you know we sometimes get a bit spoilt with the amount of global sport that comes our way but there really is nothing like a world cup be it men's world cup women's world cup and for the country to get to experience that it's going to be something for those that engage with it and you know really let themselves get swept up i think it's going to be you know a really memorable and enjoyable uh month ahead just getting swept up in all the excitement and the games upon games upon games and we'll be watching obviously what goes on across the ditch the football ferns you know the expectations for them or hopes for them will be to get out of their group but obviously a very different conversation in australia where uh where we have great expectations of the Matildas, not only to get out of the group, but to make a real penetrating run. I mean, we, 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 I listened back to some of the uh, the conversations we had uh, not long after Gustafsson started and, uh, you know, 10 goals in their first two outings against Germany and, and the Dutch and then those three clean sheets that I just mentioned. I mean, you can talk all you like about the, uh, the firepower in attack of any sporting uh, team in the world, but unless they've got a defence... Uh, that um, that is world class. You don't win anything, do you? No, absolutely. And it, I think what really has helped is obviously we're seeing now just the return of this starting eleven that we because Starson has obviously nailed in on just, and getting consistent minutes under their belt, particularly Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter. Ellie Carpenter who missed such a long time with an ACL injury, and we're really seeing just. Well, it sounds redundant, but it bears repeating anyway, just the importance of having world-class players in your defence. And I mean, one probably still wouldn't argue that the Matildas centre-back pairing, whichever it ever happens to be, it looks like Claire Hunt will be one of them, whether she's partnered with Alana Kennedy or Claire Polkinghorne. Not the strongest in the tournament, but when you look at Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter on the flanks of that defence, there's real talent there. There's real class and even centrally as well. They're not mugs, you know, the likes of Hunt, Polkinghorne and Kennedy either. So, and with Mackenzie Arnold behind them, who really seems to have established not just herself as the starting goalkeeper, but established a confidence and presence between the sticks as the number one, which is such an important thing. Um, Certainly, uh, you've got a bit more confidence in that Matilda's backline when things go wrong. The, the, the names you mentioned there, uh, obviously, Mackenzie Arnold, we, we didn't have a nailed-on goalkeeper 
now we do. Um, watching from Marvel Stadium on Friday night, uh, I, I was watching her positioning and uh, and her. There, there was one moment where she made a beautiful run off the the field of play and and gathered a ball that was coming in from across with momentum and and clearly uh, this was uh, a set piece of training that she'd done but it just looks so easy yeah and it's really great to see that she's established herself as the number one but I also I think you also really need to acknowledge I think the persistence I guess you would call it and the determination of Claire Hunt because when you you're talking about like all that experimentation that took place in the early days of um, Tony Gustafson's tenure and all these players that were being brought in and seen whether they could contribute during that time, Claire Hunt wasn't in that number. Claire Hunt's only actually been able to stick with it and her performances at Western Sydney Wanderers have demanded her inclusion in the back line in 2023. I think making her debut, I think it was in February during the Cup of Nations, and she's immediately established herself as a number one. And maybe she didn't fit the age profile of the depth that we were trying to build. We was a lot younger at the time, but she stuck with it. She's kept playing well, and she's forced her way in. And that really deserves acknowledgement and praise, I think, it, not only for her, but also, I guess, to Gustafsson and the coaching staff as well for recognises, all right, you've got to ride the hot hands. Let's bring Claire Hunt in. And she certainly demonstrated that she merited that faith. Yeah, exactly. And and who would have thought when Alana Kennedy and Claire Polkinghorne were both fit that they wouldn't be automatic selections? Um, and uh, and that's the kind of luxury that, that any manager needs, isn't it? Uh, not only do you need strong defence, but you need a bit of luck, don't you? You need those injuries to happen just at the right time. And uh, you talk about Ellie Carpenter earlier on, but uh, but Kennedy and Polkinghorne in particular. And, uh, you know, Polkinghorne is uh, is the kind of player that, uh, that we know um, is the ultimate team player. She'll do everything that she she can to, to get into the starting lineup, but if she's not, she's the kind of player that uh, that will be uh, uh, supportive of the squad and uh, and do her job if and when she gets on. And even behind them as well, you've got a player who I think embodies that spirit in Ivy Lewick, who mm-hmm. has uh, I I think there was maybe some surprise in some quarters that she was announced in the squad. I wasn't. I was always certain that Ivy Lewick would be named in that squad because she's the exact type of player that you want going to uh, a tournament. We can quibble about, you know, all these efforts to build depth and veteran Ivy Lewick is still our best backup, but she's the best backup for a reason. She'll run all day. She'll do whatever the job the team needs for her. She can play in multiple positions in the midfield and the defence. She's going to come in, do her job, and she's going to lift everybody's spirit. She's going to try her guts out in training. She's going to be the ultimate professional, even if she doesn't see the field. And yet more defensive depth that this Matilda's might, well, one hopes that they don't need, you know, too much of throughout the tournament. You'd like to think your best players will be playing the majority of games, but she's another uh, safety um, safety net that, that exists there for the team. The other side of the pitch come Thursday, Ireland. I believe you've got a bit of Irish in your in your family lineage as well. Their build up not ideal. Chunks kicked out of them by Columbia, or maybe not, depending on who you ask or which footage uh, you, uh, you you see. But a twenty minute hit out and then a training session uh, at Brisbane's Meakin Park. I assume not too many there. Does doesn't really compare with what the Matildas had against France when you consider that uh, a crowd of 80,000 awaits. Ireland did get their own look at France before they came out to Australia, but 
Yeah, really peculiar incident, this one. I mean, the Colombian, we have to assume it came from Colombia's camp, uh, leaked footage of the actual um, challenge on Denise O'Sullivan that caused the injury and did look innocuous in nature. But one wonders if the, if the treatment doled out to the Irish wasn't bad throughout the entire 20 minutes. One wonders why the entire 20 minutes worth of footage wasn't made available rather than just that one incident. But I mean, for the sake of competition, you want the Irish to give uh, the Matildas their best. And it was positive to see, I think, def- defender Heather Payne coming out today and saying that it was a uh, back to business as usual. And um, I think I saw news that Denise O'Sullivan had avoided major injury. So we'll have to wait and see as to what extent, what uh, fitness she uh, is at when she comes up against the Matildas in the opening game of the World Cup, one would hope that Denise O'Sullivan um, is fully fit. It's not that long ago, less than two years, that uh, Australia were upset by the then underdogs at home. Um, they, uh, they've they've improved um, under the, uh, the their Dutch coach, Vera Powell, who is, uh, well, as we know, uh, for any uh, Dutch coach, uh, Dutch manager in football, men's or women's, uh, is, a, is a pretty tough taskmaster. Uh, on your observations, uh, h- how much uh, concern do you have uh, about this being a banana peel early in the tournament? Um, I mean, the obvious uh, approach to any of these games for an away side against a home team, you know, with uh, 80,000 fans, largely home fans, um, is to to get them, you know, to keep them quiet early. But on the flip side, the suggestions are that um, that they, they, they... uh, are going to you know park the bus and uh, and and play a defensive strategy from the get go. It is a potential banana peel, but then again, for Australia, one would have to hope that, given the stakes involved in the group stages, and I'm specifically looking at if you finish second in Group B, you're probably playing England in the round of sixteen. Um, so one would hope that that message is getting drilled into them and well, based on what we've seen the evolution of Australia since they played the Republic of Ireland this is a much better side with a much clearer um, idea of what they want to be in minds compared to that game um, back then so one would hope that the firepower is there I mean if you were to ask me I'd say I would be expecting a Matilda's win just based upon purely even from a purely neutral perspective, um, I'd be saying that it shouldn't be an easy win. It shouldn't be something that they take for granted. But if we are to see the Matildas mount a serious challenge on the Women's World Cup, this is a game, you know, buoyed by 80,000 people at their backs in Sydney. They're going to start this game at a million miles an hour. Let's, I feel very confident in saying that. We've seen it with this Matilda side. They often will start very, very quickly, buoyed by the crowd behind them, buoyed by the energy of the occasion and the mood. Well, we can just times that by 100,000 for mm-hmm. the opening game of a women's world, home Women's World Cup in front of a record crowd. So it, it could very well be a situation wherein the Matildas are up 2 or 3-0 early on if they start with that much energy. Of course, if Ireland can hold out, um, and absorb those initial waves of energy and keep the game nil-nil, well, then it will be interesting. But one would still be expecting the Matildas to have what it takes to get the win in that one.
Yeah, well, we'll need, um, you know, obviously Sam and Caitlin were a little bit rusty uh, mm. uh, with their first touch on Friday night, so they're going to need to be a little bit more effective uh, and at their very best. But we saw that through the Women's Super League uh, over the course of the most recent season, so there's no reason to think that they won't. Nigeria ranked 40 in the world the following week um, in, in Qu Queensland. Uh, uh, all sorts of troubles in the Nigeria camp, uh, talks of boycotting the opening match, but uh, you never want to underestimate uh, an African side and one with the pedigree of Nigeria. No, absolutely not. But it, that is the, the, it's the elephant that, uh, you know, rests over this Nigerian side coming into this tournament. The absolute, I mean, it's fair to say the absolute chaos that has engulfed um, the camp um, leading into this game, you know, reports of the Federation sent, refusing to bring an assistant coach um, out to the tournament. The Its coach, um, Randy Waldrum, going on podcasts, talking about a lack of resourcing, you know, picking fights with the Federation. And then extraordinarily, the a Federation spokesperson coming out and running down the team's own coach, you know, normally it's the jobs of these media officers to try to defuse the situation and instead they've just pulled gasoline on it. So it really creates a situation wherein you've got no real idea what to expect in these sort of circumstances if they were to fall to pieces and just prove unable to get anything going. I don't think anyone would be surprised given the chaos that has engulfed them. But you are right. At the same time, they've got so many um, good players. Um, Ashola up front. I mean, she's possibly the best striker in the world playing for Barcelona, getting nominated for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, one wonders, you know, if she had a bit more PR behind them, would she be held up in the same levels as sort of the Sam Kerr type attackers in the world? She can score goals. So, again, perhaps that game's even more of one of a banana peel than the Republic of Ireland game because whilst Ireland have had um, some distractions in the lead-up um, as well, athletic articles as you, about the Europol, um, her time um, with the Houston Dash, which got rehashed before the tournament, this game against Nigeria could be so easy to just take them easy heading in, thinking about their chaos, chaos in the camp, especially if they lose to Canada. Um, mm. in their first game on the second day of the tournament on Friday in Melbourne. But um, it's really one of those ones where they could fall to pieces or they could rally around the flag, rally around each other as players and cause some shocks. It's entirely possible, isn't it? There's so many uh, uh, scenarios that can play out in this group um, and uh, and the, uh, the, 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 the spectre of Canada in that final group match is the biggest one of all, really, isn't it? It's the the one where we we reflect back on Bev Priestman's uh, squad, uh, which was under strength, came to Australia, won twice. Uh, they've uh, uh, had a, a nil all draw behind closed doors against England, um, uh, and um, and so that suggests that they're that they're in the peak of their form because the Lionesses obviously have, would have uh, been throwing uh, Serena Vigman everything at um, at bouncing back from the loss to uh, Australia. So uh, the thirty uh, first of July, all eyes will be on that match. Um, sadly, at Amy Park or Melbourne Rectangular Stadium uh, with uh, an empty MCG across the road, which could have been probably filled three times over. Uh, it's a hotter ticket than Taylor Swift right now, but um, it's going to be a, a massive, massive night, that one. The, the atmosphere will be pumping for that one. I mean, at least if you're not going to get as 
many people as out of the stadiums, but it's going to be in a boutique rectangular stadium. The atmosphere is absolutely going to go off on that one. I mean, potentially even for the people in the stadium itself, it could feel like the best atmosphere of the tournament, such as the power um, of these grounds like Amy Park and Hindmarsh Stadium. When you're in there, when they're pumping, it can feel like 130,000, um, even if it's much less. But Canada, yeah, I mean, there are the reigning Olympic champions <coughs> coming into this contest. I think I was reading um, today Nielsen's, Grace note came out um, looking at some of the percentage chances that teams um, might win it. And it gave Australia an 8% chance to win the entire tournament. And it gave Canada a 6% chance to win the entire tournament. So, you know, some they are on some level contenders to win the entire thing. They are going to come out here. They're going to defend very well. They're going to be very well organized. We saw how that frustrated um Australia in those games last year, which, I mean, one could argue that those games really represented rock bottom for Tony Gustafsson. Mm -hmm. It was where the turnaround really came. I mean, those defeats and even his most ardent supporters beginning to glance at the exits, exits mm -hmm. and wonder if his tenure was now going to be over. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see even the permutations what that game, the final game in the group, do the Matildas enter knowing they need a win, knowing that they, you know, need to penetrate this Canada defence and keep them out the other end? Will the draw be enough for the Matildas? Will Canada need to win? Will it be a case of whoever wins the game avoids England in the mm. round of 16, which is a prize in and of itself? So that game's going to be really good. Um, it's also, it's going to be an opportunity, I think, for... Australia to just see, you know, the likes of Christine Sinclair in action, this evergreen talent um, in a Canadian jersey. I mean, there's a few of them going around, Marta as well, but there are a few players like Sinclair and Marta that you can make cases for are getting their own sort of a Leo Messi moment now in this World Cup. One last ride to try to win a World Cup at the head of um, these legendary players at the head of their nation. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to see as well. And one imagines that the team that wins that game quite possibly could be winning the group. Well, listen, thanks again, mate. Um, it's always great to chat to you. Uh, thanks for for uh, soldiering on through uh, what uh, has been uh, the, the aftermath of a, an infection you had. And, um, and, yes. um, and we hope you just keep on getting better as the tournament goes on and you get to enjoy it uh, uh, as much as, um, as you've, you've been hoping to for, yeah. uh, for so long. Now, <laughs> Looking forward to seeing the next Matilda's games from the comfort of my couch rather than a hospital bed. <laughs> yeah, good on you, mate. Well done, Joey. Um, we're really proud of you, mate. And, uh, um, and uh, stay well from ESPN and we'll be watching uh, the, the games and reading uh, your analysis of it throughout the tournament. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. No worries, Joey Lynch. Now, after the break, we are going to head over to Dublin and find out uh, what the uh, Republic of Ireland uh, make of this whole thing. Uh, are they attending to spoil the show and, um, and, and upset the party on Thursday night? Well, we think they are. They're, they're planning to. Um, Gary Connaughton from uh, Balls.com i.e. Uh, the leading Scottish uh, Scottish Irish sports website uh, is going to join us after the break. Well, boys, we always say we love cooking and eating on this show. And you know who I was with on Friday night at Marvel Stadium? My good friend Johnny Accardo from Hoyts. We went along there. We had a feed at Lee Ho Fook at uh, Marvel Stadium and enjoyed some spicy Asian food. But uh, I'll tell you... 
what I'm going to cook this weekend is something that um, Colonel Sanders made famous. Do you know what I'm talking about, Will? Bit of fried chicken, Rob. Exactly. So, Derek, um, do you know how many herbs and spices there are in this recipe? I think I just said it. Uh, no, tell us. Eleven. You know, that's what they're famous for, the finger licking good. You start with cornflour, but then you get your Hoyt's garlic powder, your Hoyt's paprika, oregano, mustard powder, allspice, curry powder, turmeric, cumin, cayenne pepper, and a pinch of salt and pepper. I think there might be more than 11 in there. You make a nice dust, uh, you dredge your chicken in flour, dip it in some egg wash, and then into that spicy mixture and pan fry it or deep fry it. Absolutely delicious. You get your own Healesville fried chicken. Well, there is no KFC for uh, for miles around Healesville, Rob, so the, the home the home cooks approach could be just the one. Okay, I'll send this recipe to you, mate. And remember, refill your empty spice charge with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Joey Lynch from ESPN there about Australia's chances. Um, everyone cock a hoop after the result against France and, and recent wins against England and Sweden. But there is a team that uh, will be planning to spoil the party at Homebush uh, at the Olympic Stadium and quite in that 80,000 crowd. Um, they're not only a dark horse, but they are ranked 22 in the world and they have the scalp of the Matildas in their most recent outing. And uh, to talk to us, uh, about expectations at home uh, from Dublin is Gary Connaughton from uh, Ireland's leading sports website, balls.ie. How are you, Gary? I'm good, lads. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you're very welcome, Gary. And uh, and look, you know, everyone is in Australia, as you can imagine. Uh, the Matildas have won in front of 50,000 people. They've beaten the reigning Euro champions. Uh, uh, there's huge expectations that not only are they going to, to win on Thursday night, but they're going to sweep the group and then, you know, march triumph to the final but uh, there's the small matter of having to deal with uh, some teams who've got some major expectations of their own along the way and uh, and if there is one team that we know uh, in this tournament that uh, is not going to die wondering uh, and a team that's got a proud sporting heritage uh, uh, well cousins of Australia if you like um, is uh, is the the ladies from the Republic of Ireland so and since that win uh, in September 2021. Uh, I, I want to ask you the question from your own point of view and observations up close and the research you've done leading into the tournament, just how much have they improved? Yeah, that that win against Australia in 2021 that you mentioned, in many ways it's kind of been the entire catalyst for um, where Ireland are now. Uh, Vera Pau, the manager, said it to ta- has spoken about it quite a bit since actually Ireland came into that game after losing. I think they'd maybe lost seven games in a row. Um, but they had done so against quality teams in friendly games. Um, with the, the view at the time was Ireland needed to play a high level of opposition on a consistent basis in order to improve. Um, <clears throat> the results weren't good initially, but uh, that win against Australia, I think they kind of viewed that as giving them the confidence to carry into the World Cup campaign, um, which eventually went brilliantly and they qualified for the tournament for the first ever time. But yeah, that game against Australia, was it's kind of... Even though it was only a friendly game, um, it's kind of difficult to overstate how much it actually mattered to this team. Can you uh, give us an idea of the magnitude of the achievements of, of reaching the tournament? Um, you know, they did it with via a player through, I believe. Um, 
how how did that go down back home um and yeah how how big how big an event was it I like it's it's been amazing to see the strides that has been made in terms of both in terms of this team and also just the support that they've been getting from the Irish public has been it's grown so much over the last couple of years um you know it wasn't that long ago that our women's team had to threaten to go on strike I think in 2017 just to get a kind of a fair uh, playing conditions and better treatment from our from the FAI our national association so yeah the the campaign itself was was it was brilliant to be honest you know they came very close in the euros campaign to qualifying for that um kind of had a couple of slip ups against less talented teams that they probably should have won uh, but in the world cup campaign they kind of rectified that they beat the likes of Slovakia um Finland and then they had a big result in Sweden as well as we know Sweden are one of the best teams in the world so uh kind of again pointing back to that Australia game that's kind of what they were hoping to do was able to prove themselves to be good enough to get results against those top teams and then they went and won the playoff in Scotland as well away from home which is no easy task either so it was uh yeah the campaign the World Cup campaign has been brilliant and hopefully it's just getting started but we'll have to wait and see about that. Well one thing that got started and then stopped was the uh the friendly against Colombia um for those of our listeners that are not across the details here what exactly happened and why did why was this uh, why was this game abandoned and what 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 ha- what's the been the aftermath since what's the irish perspective of, of what's happened yeah it was a bit of a strange one because obviously the game was behind closed doors um so there was no fans or even journalists in attendance i know a few of my colleagues who were in australia thought they were going to be allowed to watch the game but then apparently the colombian uh, set up said no they didn't want any journalists there so no one kind of knew what was going on and then the first people had heard of it was when the FAI sent out a statement just to say that the game had been um, called off due to I think what they labelled as overly physical play so the game was called off after 20 minutes uh, Denise O'Sullivan who is one of Ireland's definitely one of Ireland's most important players uh, she was on the receiving end of a nasty tackle from the Colombians and it hadn't been the first one up to that point in the game. Um, she would have to be brought to hospital for to check on her uh, severity of her injury. So, yeah, people are kind of sweating on <laughs> Denise to see if um, she'll be fit for the Australia game. It, it, the injury isn't as bad as initially feared, but um, she is in a, a race to, for the game on Thursday. But... That the reaction, I suppose, since then has just been worry that um, she would be fit because she's so important to the Irish team. And, you know, the Irish team, they're a brilliant unit and they're so well organised, but they do depend heavily on, I say, a core group of about four or five players. And if any of those four or five players aren't available, then it is a major blow to their chances. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hoping that she might be able to pull through and start on Thursday. Has, has there been any a sort of vindication or reaction from Colombia? I mean, you know, I, I think we understand the idea that last game before the tournament, clearly they want to be right on top of their game, potentially implement some new tactics and position uh, positioning or whatever. But, um, you know, are they indignant that, you know, they were just playing a very tough brand of football that, that, that they don't believe was over the top? Yeah, from my understanding of it, they're not 
they're not taking any of the blame for what happened. They, at the time, I think Vera Powell has said since she spoke to uh, their management team during the game before it was uh, called off. And I think they basically implied there's two teams in it, you know, that there was both sides were uh, going hell for leather. Um, since then, I know one of their players was asked about it uh, after the game and I think she had some not so nice uh, things to say about the Irish team, uh, some expletive laden rant uh, <laughs> about Ireland's reaction to the incident. So yeah, it seems Colombia aren't uh, aren't too happy about the way they've been portrayed. Uh, footage did come out of the tackle yesterday morning, Irish time. It was one of those where I suppose maybe if you looked at it in isolation, it might not have been that bad, but it was clearly it was clearly a building of things that had been happening in the over twenty minutes. And Ireland just thought it wasn't worth the risk to stay on that pitch when there's such big games coming up. So, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a weird incident to have a few days before the start of the World Cup, but um, it, hopefully it doesn't affect the team too much. In terms of the tactics that uh, Ireland might employ against Australia and against other teams in the tournament, what? What are the fans likely to see? I mean, I'm, I'm no expert. I read a, a commentary that um, the manager Vera Paul is quite uh, conservative with her tactics. Is that is that, that true? And and what what are we going to see from this this Ireland team? Yeah, that's that's spot on. This Ireland team, since Vera Paul came in, her main thing has just been to organise them defensively. Um, you know, get them solid at the back, and they're not exactly a free scoring team either. So. To have a chance against the likes of Australia or Canada in the group, they're going to have to probably try and keep a clean sheet and nick a goal at the other end. It'll be a five at the back. You can call it a three at the back with wing backs, but against Australia, it's going to be five at the back. Uh, Katie McCabe, who often plays more forward for Ireland and or for Arsenal, and um, she's obviously Ireland's most important player. She'd be playing as a left wing back. Um, getting up and down that side so you can expect a 5-4-1 formation or maybe a 5-2-3 depending on how the game kind of plays out um, but it, for, for, for Ireland it's yeah you, Australia are going to have a lot of the ball and Ireland are going to try and break fit fast uh, and then hopefully get a goal at the other end with a set piece um, the one thing I the one worry we a lot of people have about Ireland is they're great if they can get in front but I would worry it for for them if they fall behind if Australia get a goal and we know the quality Australia have in their team up front uh, Ireland are envious of that because it's the one thing I think they're lacking if they had that they would be a really really dangerous team and they're still a really good team but they're just lacking a little bit of potency up front so I would expect a low scoring affair Ireland would be hoping for a low scoring affair um, but yeah if for the Australian fans who are expecting a free-flowing, exciting game, I would say that the Ireland will hope it's not like that. I'll put it that way. You mentioned uh, Arsenal's case McCabe uh, before, and of course I'm sure she'll be looking forward to taking on a couple of uh, Matilda's uh, uh, teammates on the day. Um, she's clearly one of the star players, but if you were to name another player for uh, particularly uh, Matilda's fans to look out for on the day, or a couple, um, who... Uh, who who uh, are the kind of stars, or who will Ireland will who will Ireland be leaning on particularly during this game and the others in the tournament? Yeah, outside of Katie McCabe, I would say Denise O'Sullivan is probably the next most important player in the team. But uh, like we were just saying, we don't know if she's going to actually play. But uh, she's 
hugely important in midfield. She's one of the few team players in the Irish uh, setup who is like comfortable on the ball, uh, has no issue advancing through the line, stuff like that. She plays for North Carolina Courage in, at club level, so it's obviously a high standard. But outside of her, uh, Courtney Brosnan in goal has been come on an incredible amount. She's an American-born player, but um, she's played for Ireland for quite a while now. Uh, she plays for Everton at club level, but she's she's for a couple of years the kind of goalkeeping position was a bit up in the air for Ireland. But she's really nailed it down now, and she is going to have to have a big tournament of Ireland there to have success because we know that the team is likely going to be under pressure against Australia and Canada and even Nigeria in the group. So she's another one. Um, another player who's incredibly recent into the squad, I think she's only has maybe three caps, uh, is Sinead Farley. She's an American-born player. Um, she had it's an incredible story. She was involved in the controversy of in the uh, American League around um, sexual coercion. Uh, she ultimately retired from the game, um, came back, and is now was vaulted into the Ireland team. And she looks to be a really promising player. Again, she's another one who's kind of good on the ball and that's something that Ireland probably lacks. So uh, she is another name to keep an eye out. So outside of Katie McCabe, I'd say they're probably the three players that everyone will be paying the closest attention to. So hopefully they can have a big impact against Australia. And one final one before we go. I know uh, it wasn't that long ago that a a 15-year-old was... uh, in the middle of a, uh, a, a tug of war between uh, Australia and Ireland, uh, Mary Fowler eventually declared her allegiance for Australia, but uh, she could just as easily uh, be wearing the emerald uh, of Ireland uh, on Thursday night with her dad from uh, uh, your part of the world, mate. Is that a point of discussion that uh, that continues, or is it now water under the bridge and uh, uh, it's, um, yeah, nothing we can do about it now? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I, it was... It has been discussed in terms of her playing for Ireland. There was obviously uh, that game in Tala uh, in 2021. She played in that and there was some amazing pictures of her with her grandfather after the game. Um, I think that was the kind of the first time a lot of Irish fans would have become familiar with her, but they've been kind of keeping an eye on her since then. And honestly, she's done really well for Australia. So, yeah, it would have been great if she did decide to play for Ireland. But um, we'd be hoping that... We might make her regret the decision slightly on Thursday <laughs> if they <laughs> can get a positive result, but we'll see about that. Yeah, well, I guess it's the nature of this modern world, isn't it, mate? Our men's and women's yeah. team have, in fact, our men's uh, have a lot of players who have uh, accents from all parts of the world, mate. Uh, so it's, it's, it's exact, not unusual. It's the, same, it's the exact same for Ireland at both men's and women's levels. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, Gary. Well, look, uh, we won't wish you too much luck on Thursday night. Uh, we um, we love our uh, our brothers and sisters from Ireland, but not that much that we want you to spoil the party. But uh, we, we respect Ireland's sporting prowess and know that this is going to be a really tricky fixture uh, on Thursday night. So whatever the result is, mate, um, we'll be all watching uh, uh, with just eager anticipation uh, at, the, at the beginning of this World Cup. And uh, Maybe we'll get to talk to you again uh, during the course of the tournament. Well, best of luck, guys. Thanks for having me on. And like, I hope it's a good game and we'll see how it goes. No worries. Gary Connaughton from the leading Irish sports website, balls.ie. If you want to catch up on uh, some some reading background on uh, the the, uh, the game uh, from an Irish point of view, I'd encourage you to jump on and uh, and and have a look at uh, Gary's and, and some of his colleagues' work. Okay, stick around. It's more World Cup after the break on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box uh, World Cup corner. Well, it's going to be a very small corner because we're running a little bit uh, over time. A great chat, extended chat there with Joey Lynch uh, breaking down the group and expectations for the Matildas and Gary Connaughton from Balls.ie over there in Dublin uh, and the uh, the expectations of the Republic of Ireland women who uh, are, have just improved out of sight uh, over the, the last couple of years and they're going to give Australia a really, really stiff test uh, on Thursday night. Uh, we're all really pumped about the World Cup. Um, Willem... Uh, um, just a, a couple of little tidbits and some results uh, before we wrap up, mate. Yeah, in words that have surely never been said in the history of the planet, Rob, Jamaica have defeated Morocco 1-0 at BT Connor Reserve Preston in their final warm-up match. Uh, one of the great things, not only the uh, one of the great things about this World Cup and having uh, matches at venues local to you is that uh, obviously we know the uh, the big stadia that get used for the tournament proper, but where clubs set up, it's always sort of novel and, and niche to an extent uh, where, they, where they might set up their training bases or where they might play these warm-ups. So yeah, Jamaica over Morocco 1-0 in, uh, in Preston. After their 20-minute uh, dust-up with the Irish, Columbia did get out on the park and play what was noted as an even-tempered two-all draw uh, with China, and Italy defeated New Zealand 1-0. So our co-hosts, unfortunately, are taking pretty shocking form into this World Cup. It can't really be spun in I think that might have been a sensible decision geopolitically for uh, for the Colombians not to um, dish out the same kind of punishment to China that they thought that they could uh, uh, turn up and uh, and display against Ireland. Uh, there might have been some uh, some ramifications to that if they had. That's probably a, a more than fair point. Um, yeah, New Zealand are in trouble, Rob. 1-0, they've gone down to, to Italy. No mm. shame in that, but their recent history is, is pretty turgid. Uh, and as we've said, a tough group with Norway, Switzerland, and uh, the Malditas, the feisty ladies of the Philippines as their mm. nickname runs. Oh, absolutely. And I've got um, a, a little piece on those Filipinas under Alan Stagic in stoppage time, so we'll expand on that later on in the week. Nice of Ellie Carpenter this week to... Um, it can feel like he's pretty friendless at times, Alan, Alan Stachich, and there's a lot that has gone on, some of it public, some of it not. Mm. Uh, but it was nice of Ellie to acknowledge him and the, the role that he played in her. In the early part of her national team career, she said something along the lines of, uh, managers that are hard on you are hard on you because they care. Managers that ignore you show that there's no interest whatsoever. So it was uh, it was mm. nice to see that acknowledgement made this week. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Derek, um, we're all uh, getting fired up for uh, for the uh, Friday uh, match uh, at uh, Melbourne Rectangular Stadium between Canada and Nigeria. But um, before then, we're going to uh, uh, resume midweek and uh, and have a, a yarn about a few more World Cup matters in stoppage time. Yes, still scraping the barrel of global football at the moment. Hopefully by next week, our stoppage time will be filled with uh, this fantastic tournament Um that we're, uh, that we're all going to be seeing. I'll be very surprised if my game of the week next week isn't mm-hmm. Nigeria versus Canada. So I'll have, to, <laughs> I'll have to get that in first on the WhatsApp group if we're all going. <laughs> all right, well, well you've, sta- you've staked your claim. You can have it, mate. All right, well done, Derek. We'll talk to you midweek. Thank you. Well, well done again. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Damo. Thank you, Derek. Please subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at box to box nts and follow us on Twitter as you're enjoying this World Cup. And we, if you haven't bought tickets, just jump on. It's easy uh, to do. You've just got to make up a little account. There's still tickets out there for 10 20 30 bucks. Uh, just experience it if you haven't made the effort so far. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.